Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Evelyn Partners Investment Podcast. I'm Cherry Raynard, and with me today is Ben Seeger Scott, Head of Multi Asset Funds. We're going to be trying to make sense of what just happened to UK Gilts and Sterling and provide some reassurance to investors at this time of considerable volatility. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 4th of October, 2022. And before we begin, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk, depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. Okay, welcome, Ben. Um, It's been an extraordinary few weeks for UK bond and currency markets, with the Bank of England forced to step in and the government forced to roll back on one of its key pledges. Um, Let's start by looking at how we've got to this point. Presumably, there are short and long-term factors at play. Well, for a long time, policymakers, I think, have taken market complacency for granted. And I think what we've seen now is what happens if you have a, a credibility failure. Okay, and has the Bank of England intervention been enough to stabilise markets in the short term? I think they've probably done enough to buy themselves a little bit of time. Um, especially worth highlighting that what we've seen most recently, the acute the, the acute element, was a bit of a of a technical feedback factor. What we've seen is is bond markets broadly readjusting to inflation, interest rates, and the expect expectations for both being above zero. But what we saw, particularly in the last couple of weeks, is in particular um, defined benefit pension funds that involve in what's called liability-driven investment that probably not a lot of people heard about and now everyone is, is hearing all over the news. They employ derivatives and they buy particularly long-dated bonds and that's the area of the market that got into a little bit of trouble. And what you had there is this feedback loop that caused bonds to sell off that push down the value of their portfolios. That in itself isn't a huge problem because the the liabilities they're trying to offset also went down. But because they had some of these derivatives, as those derivatives started to become unprofitable, they had a cash call. And what that had the effect of is is forcing those pension funds to raise some cash. So they had to sell gilts. That caused them to go further. That caused these derivatives to go further and caused more selling. And it was a dangerous feedback loop that caused the Bank of England to intervene. So it wasn't like normal QE. A lot of people think we're back to QE. This is specifically about breaking that feedback loop uh, and trying to to fix what was a pricing anomaly. Um, Central banks do this periodically. You may remember in the depths of the COVID crisis, the Fed had had to step in when the Treasury market wasn't functioning properly. So there are times for this to happen. Normally, though, it's an extrinsic event rather than a sort of policy error that causes it. Okay, and I'm assuming there are no further U-turns this week, and it is only Tuesday. Um, What are likely to be the longer-term implications of the current crisis? Well, I I think, as I say, some of the challenge will come around credibility. Um, In the short term, what we're likely to see, frankly, is a bit of a, a showdown um, between the central bank and bond vigilantes. And people always say that the, the phrase is don't fight the Fed. It applies to the Bank of England 
as well. It's a dangerous policy to try and go against a central bank that has vast amounts of, of, of reserves. But what it reminds us is the bank in and of itself does not set borrowing pricing. That's a function of the market. And there is an important interplay between the two. Um, I mean, what the, the longer term implications depends on, on how this plays out. It could indeed disappear as quickly as, as, it, as, as it appeared. Um, but I think for the moment, um, it, it does impact how we, how we view uh, government bonds, UK gilts. Uh, historically, one would consider them a risk off asset. Um, at the moment, I think there is a risk that they are more a gamble on, on, on UK economic policy. And I think it also factors in, obviously, there has been some talk about the government and question marks there may be over the bank's independence. I think this also feeds into that. So we'll have to see how it uh, how it proceeds from here. And it's obviously been a, a really unnerving time for investors um, who've already been watching their savings bounce around for, for much of this year. But now they've got their mortgage rates soaring. And, you know, even like previously safe havens such as gilts suddenly look anything but. Um, I mean, what words of reassurance can you give investors in, in environments like this? Uh, absolutely. And I think it's natural when you have these periods of volatility to feel a little unnerved. And that's where I think investment discipline is, is absolutely key. So I think we need to get to, to this mindset that volatility is normal. We've had a decade where authorities and central banks have tried to smooth those returns. They've given perhaps a, a false sense of security. Markets by their nature are volatile and a volatile market is actually a healthy market. So I think for investors, the, the, the key point is to focus on, on your risk profile, understand what you're trying to achieve um, in, in your investment portfolio. And you need to remember, I think, that the long term return potential we talk about when, when we think about investing, that's made possible by the capability to absorb these short term losses. That's the risk you're being offered this, this reward for. Uh, and, you know, I would say the outlook is always uncertain. So I think what I, I, I would uh, think su suggest that the investors think about is how you're embracing these risks to focus on the long term. This isn't about trying to short to, to guess, um, second guess short term movements. I think you've got to accept the short term movements, whether it recovers or, or, or whether there's further challenges ahead. They're functionally unforecastable, but they are manageable. So I think it's about focusing on that long-term potential, look through the short-term noise, and, that, and that's really what successful investing is, is all about. And, I mean, what, what are the views of the asset allocation teams on UK assets today? Um, I, I think UK assets, uh, it depends on the nature of those assets. The, the UK domestic, has, uh, domestic economy has, has a few headwinds. There are productivity challenges that, that are trying to be addressed. Um, so perhaps in terms of UK assets, medium and small size companies, they tend to be more sensitive to the UK economy. They've probably still got a, a few headwinds. But actually, the UK market itself is fairly globally exposed. The majority of, of large cap UK equities derive their, their revenues from overseas. And that could be relatively positive, particularly given some, some of the currency movements. And actually, you know, the when we see these movements, what it does mean is that the long-term return potential starts to become a little bit more attractive. It is worth remembering, I know inflation on a backward-looking measure in the short term is, is pretty high. But if one looks to the future, market-implied inflation um, is hovering around about roughly 3% on CPI, which is a bit ahead 
of target. But if you have that over the next 10 years, given where gilt yields are at the moment, you can actually get a positive real yield on a forward-looking basis in, in some of these uh, lower-risk assets. And of course, all other assets tend to price off that. You get a risk premium above that level. So as we stand today, some of the this volatility creates opportunities and the long-term outlook is, is is actually relatively attractive. But again, you need to be able, willing and able to, to tolerate those short-term periods of volatility if you are to, to have a, a good probability of achieving those, those long-term attractive returns. And to what extent should investors be worried about the falling currency? I mean, should it change their investment perspective? Is, is it possible that the worst is, is in fact over for sterling? Well, it's, it's, it's very hard to tell depending on, on how things move from here. Obviously, the sterling has fallen a long way, particularly against the US dollar, which itself is is considerably stronger. I mean, in fact, it's gained uh, at the moment, year to date, the dollar's gained around 20%. It's a huge movement. Um, but of course, the, the path from here, one shouldn't assume just because it's fallen that sterling will just rally back to where it was. It is, of course, it does, of course, depend on, on the path of all of the various economies. And there are good points and bad points. On a positive uh, aspect, the fall in sterling helps buffer against losses in, in overseas equity markets because you get a benefit on the currency translation effects. Uh, and as we said, because a lot of UK uh, large cap companies generate their revenue overseas, it improves the value of, of, of those revenues and hopefully boosts profitability. So there are positives. The negative, of course, if sterling's weaker, everything we import from overseas becomes that much more expensive and that can make inflation a little bit stickier. And that's why inflation is a little bit tougher um, in the UK and, and in Europe. It's a little bit easier in the US where the strong dollar is having the reverse effect. And I mean, my sense is that inflation still remains at the, the heart of many of these problems that we're experiencing in markets. I mean, are there any better signs there, any signs that inflation is rolling over anywhere? There, there, there's some potential signs that the inflation may be peaking. Uh, and I think the, the outlook is for inflation to peak at some point in the next few months. I think it's uh, it's not very useful to try and be very specific because calling the exact top is, is very difficult. But I think the outlook, remember when we talk about inflation, it tends to be year on year, the price last year compared to this year. So you do have a point where you can almost see um, from a headline level uh, a natural rolling over because we know where prices are. And obviously external factors such as energy prices have now dipped from, from some of their peaks. So those will go in the opposite direction. Uh, and of course, inflation is, is a combination of factors. We talk about these external factors such as commodity prices, but some of the domestically driven core inflation is is still quite high. Consumers are still purchasing quite a lot of, of goods and services. But even within that, with interest rate moves, um, potentially some of those housing related costs are likely to, to come under pressure. And we need to remember um, central banks are trying to fight inflation, but it happens with a lag of six, nine, 12 months. So even though many people might say central banks have been raising rates, there has been no effect. It's coming with a lag. And we're starting, I think, to come into that period where some of the early moves are, are having an effect. The one thing I would flag, none of this is likely to move in a straight line. So people that think inflation will rise, 
smoothly steady off and then smoothly dip back down, I, I suspect will be disappointed. Uh, look for the trend. And I think that volatility will create opportunities. But I do think it's likely to be peaking in, in, in the next few months. Okay, great. Um, I wonder if we could move on to markets now. Um, let's look at how markets have been trading for the year to date, you know, areas that have been particularly vulnerable or, or in contrast, areas that have been quite strong. I wonder if you could give me a sort of big picture on that. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, I think, of course, markets broadly have come under pressure. And this comes after several years where lots of assets moved up together. Unfortunately, the, the corollaries is they tend to ease off together as well. Um, but there have been relative pockets of, of strength and weakness. Um, equity markets have, have suffered to an extent. But if one looks at the UK markets held together uh, reasonably well, that year to date, um, as, as of sort of yesterday, the UK market is only down uh, just over a percent, whereas areas such as Europe are down 16.5%, so quite painful. And these are in sterling terms. And as I said, the advantage there is that a lot of these falls in, in equity markets have been offset by the weak pound that makes the, these overseas positions look more attractive. So overall, um, you know, most equity markets for sterling investors looking broadly are down um, sort of single single digit percentage points, which obviously is, is bad. No one likes falling markets, but could be a lot worse if you look at just some of the, the, the headline, headline numbers. The areas that have suffered perhaps more have been some of those traditional perceived safe haven areas, government bonds, corporate bonds with, with any sort of duration, those have really suffered. They don't have the ability to, to grow their earnings or their fundamentals. It's a, a sort of flat coupon that's paid. And as rates have risen, those have really been hit hard. And of course, that's an area we've talked a lot about being wary of. And when, when rates were low at the start of the year, we did repeatedly say these, these can only really go uh, in one direction. And that's where, where some of the, the pain has been felt. Um, of course, there are other parts of the market you can look. Um, you don't have to buy full duration government bonds if you don't want to buy equities. You can have short duration that's less sensitive to interest rates. Some of the parts of the absolute return market as well. So these are, are strategies that try and produce a positive return in, in all market conditions. In aggregate, they've come under pressure, but there have been some, some high points within that. And I think we often talk about equity markets in aggregate. But at the moment, what we've seen is rather than being having a higher or lower weight in equities, it's actually been how you've been positioned in those equities that's been really important. And some of the growthier names and growthier areas that have done well in the last few years have given up quite a lot of that strength. But some of the more defensive areas uh, look at areas such as utilities and, and, and healthcare and consumer staples. Those have held up relatively well. So you've had strength and weakness even within those equity markets. I mean, after these falls, there's obviously now quite a lot of bad news in the price. It's not as if um, uh, sort of global investors are, are unaware that we're in a challenging environment. Um, so, I mean, what kind of, what signs are you looking out for that markets might have reached a, a, a nadir? I, I think it's important to look at a, a few different factors. And here we're really talking some of the tactical elements. So moving away from focus on your long-term strategy. I think keeping an eye on fundamentals is is really important. What has largely driven a lot of the, focusing on equity markets, what's driven a lot of the falls this year has been sentiment 
and technicals. Rising yields tend to push down discount rates. That pushes the valuation down. And that's what's been driving most, most of the falls this year. But if you look at fundamentals, actually companies are still looking pretty robust. Earnings growth is strong. Earnings expectations are actually have actually risen this year, partly driven by energy effects. They've dipped for expectations for next year, 2023, but actually they, they've stayed pretty steady for 2024 as well. Now, some of those may get revised down as, as fears of, of recession start to come through. Um, but even then, we've had a lot of bad news come through and they're remaining pretty robust in the sort of mid, again, mid single digits. And it's fundamentals that really uh, are, are the key long term driver of those returns. So I think watching those, seeing if they do remain stable, looking at some of the uh, the sentiment indicators. And I really think if some of the economic indicators, not not the, the headline points, by the time they, they move, markets will have reacted. Um, but some sense that maybe inflation is coming under control. If we see some job numbers starting to show signs that th- those employment levels are easing, so unemployment ticking up or some of the related factors. Also, some of the activity indicators, if we see those starting to ease before the headline headline numbers, then that could be a signal potentially for a, for a bottoming out. And at some point, you know, we do expect, it's very hard to call these pivots with central banks, but at some point one can see if inflation comes under control and growth starts to look like it's coming under pressure, just imagine the potential of what may happen in markets if central banks start to say, okay, the restricted period is over and people start looking towards that slightly softer uh, monetary policy. So it's important not to discount those factors as well. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that there are sort of opportunities in every environment. I mean, any particular areas that you'd highlight at the moment, anywhere where you're finding interesting ideas? Um, I, I would say it's less about specific areas as we look at it today. The last couple of years has been dominated by a fairly narrow set of, of sectors and styles and equities that have really benefited. And obviously that, that's done well for investors and, 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 and that's given back some of that strength more, more recently. I think as we do face down some of these uncertain areas, I would say um, it sounds like a cop out, but it's not meant to be. It is about balance. And when you don't know what the future holds, the idea of diversification is to not be overly exposed to any particular outcome. So I would say is, you know, look at your portfolio. If it's all exposed to one particular outcome, then you're taking on probably a little bit more risk. So I think it's about being balanced. But within that, I think diversification is your is your friend. Look for a balance across sectors. Look for balance across styles. I think there will be some high conviction names that when you've had broad sell offs, have probably been caught up in indiscriminate selling. So I think top up some of your high conviction positions. Don't be afraid of uh, of some of those less loved sectors, particularly some of the, those those defensive sectors. And I think now that bond yields have sold off, actually there's some attractive characteristics in there as well, particularly in a return seeking element. Um, some of the short dated investment grade credit, some of those areas look particularly attractive as well. Investors are obviously looking at markets, nervous. Um, There's been a lot of volatility this year. Have you got any kind of final messages that you would give to them, anything that they should be doing? Yeah, absolutely. I I think really it's, it's back to basics and it's about risk profile. So keep focused on your willingness and ability to tolerate risk, but that's in good times 
as well as the bad. And I think it's about trying to lean against those inherent behavioural biases. So mental discipline is is key. It is about embracing risk to try and achieve those longer term uh, potential outcomes. The outlook looks relatively rosy and risk is about that ability to take uh, take some of the, these periods of volatility in the short term, ride through it, manage through it and, and, and come out on the other side. So I think it's really is, uh, about revisiting and it's frankly it's a little easier when markets are going up to say actually maybe I like risk and then when it's going down say I don't it's, it's about calibrating those two and you know I, I've done exactly the same um, I've, I've looked in my portfolio and I've allowed a little bit too much cash to, to accumulate um, recently so you know I, I invest in our, some of our own in-house funds so I've recently put that to work just trying to follow that mental discipline and because you're embracing risk the reality is investing should always feel a little uncomfortable because if it's not, then there's the risk of complacency. So I think, you know, it's about mental discipline, looking on the long term and just being prepared to, to, um, to, to just move through that short term volatility. Great. OK, that's a, that's a good message to fi- finish on. Uh, thank you, Ben, for that comprehensive roundup. Um, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Um, All references and lines spoken about in this episode can be found in the episode show notes. And you can find lots of other investment articles on evelyn.com, including What Does Sterling's Fall Mean for Investors, written by our chief investment strategist, Daniel Casali. Daniel will be back with us in the studio for our next podcast episode, and we'd love to have you join us then if you can. Please do subscribe to our show if you haven't done so already, and you can rate us and review us in the App Store. Until next time. Thank you.